Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning again, everybody. If you're just joining us, um, I'm Jim Del Campbell, by the way. I get to be the lead pastor here. And uh, actually, next month will be 30 years I get to be the lead pastor here. So, um, uh, this all began out of my house 30 years ago. So God has brought us on quite a journey. Amen? Um, but we're in this series called Answers. And we've been answering what we think are some of the tougher questions with our hope that you would take some of this and be able to answer questions when they are given to you. Because there are some difficult questions that are given to us Christians that I think we should be able to answer. In fact, the New Testament teaches us we should be able to answer the questions that are asked of us. Now, today's question is this, that we're going to attempt to give you the answer to so you can answer others. Because remember, our primary purpose of life as a follower of Christ is to make Christ known. There is nothing else after that. Everything's a, a far second. But today's question is, how can a loving God send people to hell? How can he do this? And you're going to get that question because they throw that, how can a loving God send a person to hell? So what I've done every week, and I'm going to do it today, I'm going to throw the question out to you. I'm the devil's advocate here. A few of you, remember, you get five, ten seconds. That's all you get. You go farther than that, I got ushers with hooks, okay? I'm the preacher, you're not. Give me your quick answer. How would you answer that? How can a loving God send a person to hell? How would you answer that when somebody asks you the question? Raise your hand. Tell, over there, Aaron. God doesn't send anyone to hell. God doesn't send anybody to hell. Yeah, we will. We make a choice Everybody makes a choice. They make a choice what they're going to do. Some people have a real hard time with that because what they're going to do, Aaron, is they're going to say, no, I don't have a choice. I've only been given two choices. But it's still a choice. They still try to skirt around that, that issue right there. What else? How would you answer? Right there. Had long to out. Pardon? You've had long enough to figure it out. <laughs> a fellow prophet, okay. Let's get it right, okay? You know, what's the problem here? All right, God gives them long enough. Yes, Stephanie? Preach it, sis, okay. God came, became man, sacrificed himself so that you don't have to go there. No one has to go there, okay? Anybody else? How would you answer that? Any less? Way over there, bro. Is that you, Joe? <laughs> I haven't seen him in 27 years, and he shows up today. <laughs> Literally 27 years, okay? He lives further away, so. Um, yeah, we talked about that last week, okay? But the reality is, who deserves it? Everybody. <laughs> we all do. We're all sinners. Okay, so I want to begin today, and thank you, Joe. I'm going to write your name down right now, okay? No. Um, so we're going to talk about this, but let me show you one thing first. It's in Matthew 25, if you turn there. I want to show you something Jesus said, just for the sake of statement purposes. Look at Matthew 25 and verses 40... What am I? Matthew... Oh, I'm in the wrong chapter. The wonder looks funny. Matthew 25 
And we're going to go verse 41 to 46, I think it is. Yeah. Watch Jesus. It's the middle of a little story he's telling here. He says, Then he will also say to those on the left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Remember that hell has not been prepared for humans. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. Just remember that. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not, you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? Then he'll answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it, to the least of these, you did not do it to me. In other words, you could have helped somebody. You had it in your means, your power, everything. You didn't help anybody. These will go away into eternal punishment. Say eternal punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. Now notice twice in those few verses, Jesus talks about eternal punishment. He talks about judgment. So this is coming out of Jesus' mouth. Now, just so you understand... Jesus, of all of his teachings, about 13% of his teachings have to do with hell, punishment, eternal judgment. 13%, that's kind of a lot, okay? And we've already covered in this series that we've shown that science proves, not Christians, but science has now proven that this universe had a beginning. It's not eternal. That something kick-started this universe from nothing. And you can't get something from nothing. It had to be a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, all-powerful mind that created this thing. Therefore, backing the Genesis 1-1 claim, we call that person God. Amen? And then we take that, we took you further, we showed where Jesus, yes, he, everybody knows now, whether scholars, whether uh, skeptic, atheist, or Christian, they all know Jesus walked the earth, they agree Jesus is crucified, historical fact. And we showed the evidence historically that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, people say, well, I don't know how somebody can rise from the dead. Back up. If a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, all-powerful, with a mind, God can create everything we see from nothing, do you think he's got the power to raise someone from the dead? Amen. That's what you do. You take them on that systematic thinking right there. So when somebody like Jesus, the only one who's ever risen from the dead, he raised himself from the dead, he said, I tend to believe what he says. Okay, let me, let me back up and try that again. I was really weak. If someone brings himself back from the dead, I tend to believe what he says. Yeah, I, I just do. I'm, okay? And if he says there's an eternal judgment, guess what? There's an eternal judgment. Now, let's go to our key verse and we'll get into what we're going to talk about mostly today. 1 Peter 3.15, I want you all to read it with me. I'm going to count to three and you all go, one, two, three, go. But sanctify your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and ah, Okay, we've gone through this every week. We'll go through it again. First off, when you're talking to somebody about Jesus, don't get all crazy, okay? Gentleness and reverence. Just calm down. Stay calm. Think it through. But they're going to ask us. They're going to ask us questions. And I hope they do. I hope they see something in us. They're going to ask us questions. 
okay? But then it says that we're to make a defense. It's a simple word, means apologia, apologetics. It simply means to give an answer. So when someone asks me about this, this, or that, about God, Jesus, I give an answer. But notice it said to sanctify the Lord Jesus in your heart. That is huge. What is he saying to us? Simply saying, settle it. Jesus is God. He's the God-man. He died. He rose from the dead. Settle it. Sanctify him in your heart. Otherwise, you'll get talked into anything, talked out of this, talked out of that, or some bad circumstance comes your way, you'll give up on God. Settle it. I shared with you this last week, if you watch, if you're with me on Facebook or Instagram, the one-minute message that I do probably once a week, and I shared out Peter. Here's Peter in Matthew 16. He, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus says, well, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, Peter, you're spiritually in tune right now. And then you go a few verses later in Matthew 16, after Jesus says, oh, they're going to they're gonna get me, they're going to torture me, they're going to crucify me, they're going to kill me, and then I'm rise from the dead. And what does Peter do? I'll never let that happen. And then what did Jesus tell him? Get thee behind me, Satan. What? And then he says, you're setting your interest on man's ideas, not God's will. Now think about that. Peter goes from spiritually in tune to in the flesh. Can anybody relate? Yeah, and then so we know it's not settled in him because further down the road, he denies Jesus how many times? Three times. So it's not settled. It's not until we see Peter in the book of Acts that he stands up there filled with the Spirit in the power of the Spirit and he is seeing the resurrected Jesus. He stands up there and no one's going to talk him out of it anymore. It has been settled now. Sanctify the Lord in your heart. Settle it once and for all so that no matter what happens and you're not the only one that goes through stuff no matter what happens that you're going to follow Christ no matter what anybody says you're going to stay with Jesus no matter what. Amen to that one? So you got to settle that thing. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to go through three things, and I have a lot of side shots, I think, with that in answering the question and other questions that come off the question, okay? So here we go. If you're taking notes or following along in notes, uh, those at home, however. First off, number one, people don't go to hell against their will. Now, Aaron, that's what you said. They have free choice of will out there, okay? Um, now, listen to the question, and I'm going to ask you a question. They say, why would a loving God send a person to hell? Question for you now. What is the assumption that they make in that question? The assumption is that God is just sending people to hell against their will. Like he's just grabbing people. I'm going to throw you over there. I'm going to throw you in there. They're going, no, I don't want to go. That's the assumption, right? He's sending there to hell against their will. Let me give you an illustration that I think kind of shows you how this works, okay? Now, <clears throat> last week I, I shared an illustration like this and I picked up, I used the guys. Now I'm going to use all you ladies. Is that okay? La ladies. Let's say you're all single. And you're at work. And there's this guy at work, he's your age, and you could tell he comes around your life, starts talking to you. And every day he comes to talk to you. 
and has nothing to do with, the, with work. And you know, because you are so smart and discerning, by about the second week you realize, he must like me, because you're just so discerning, right? You're figuring it out. And then more and more it happens, and then finally one day, he musters up the nerve. And he says, hey, um, I, would, you, would you go out with me? And you say to him, let me answer, don't, ladies, don't you answer. And you say, I just like you as a Oh, easy, okay. Man, friend. Now, ladies, just so you understand something, you just wounded every one of us, okay? <laughs> every guy knows what that feels like, okay? We may walk away going, oh, I understand. We understand nothing about that, okay? <laughs> nothing. We're just in pain now, and that's why we need counseling and things like that. It's women's fault. No, I'm just joking. And so... Now, but you have ripped his heart out. But listen, listen. Then it keeps going. And he still comes by every day. Would you go with me? No. Go with me next day. Go with me? No. Next day. Go with me? No. And then he starts driving by your house. Oh, that got you, didn't it? Okay. Okay. And the next day, you've had enough of his pursuits of you. And he says, would you go with me? And then you finally just say this. I want you to leave me alone. Right? Am I right? You know what hell is? Hell is because people tell God. They go there because they tell God, leave me alone. Quit pursuing me. Quit wanting me. Just leave me alone. And God gives them their will. I'll leave you alone. I'll leave you alone. And they go into hell. Nobody goes there against their will. And by the way, nobody goes there for a lack of belief in Jesus. People go to hell because we're all sinners. Never forget that one right there. There are no morally good people. Just because you're a little bit better than your neighbor, that doesn't mean God's grading on a curve, okay? <laughs> like you think you're still in school where a C minus is the highest grade. That's an A plus now, and so the F minus gets like a D minus. <laughs> no, God doesn't grade that way, okay? Sin is just sin. Nobody goes there against your will. Never forget that, okay? The second thing today is the punishment fits the crime. Right? Or wrong? Right. Now, the question that might be thrown at you or me is this, or maybe you're thinking this is, well, isn't hell kind of uh, that punishment? Isn't it kind of overkill? I mean... Let's think of it like this. <clears throat> they may say something like, look, a person lives 50, 60, 70, 80 years, and they sin 50, 60, 70, 80 years, and then they get thrown in hell for eternity, infinity, and beyond, right? Isn't that kind of overkill? Listen, listen, listen to logic, philosophically, think about it, biblically, think about it. Um, what they're really saying is this, that the length of time in hell should, be, should correlate to how long it took to commit the crime. Am I saying that clear enough? Let me put it this way. Somebody murders someone. It took them two seconds to shoot the gun and kill that person. They go to court. They're convicted. And the judge says, here is your punishment. You murder them, 
it took you two seconds to murder them we are going to sentence you to two seconds in prison is that right that's not right how would the family of the murder victim feel oh man they they want to go get the judge right no you see what they're saying is that the punishment it should fit the amount of time it took to commit the crime it's not doesn't work that way it will never work that way now <clears throat> you know the problem is the problem is humans tend to minimize sin do they not I mean we say it all we all say I'm not such a bad guy well, notice you put the word bad in there right now we minimize it God doesn't minimize sin God looks at sin seriously let me show you how serious God is then we'll continue with this punishment fits the crime and I'll give you the exact how you answer this eternal infinity and beyond question of eternal punishment watch turn to Romans chapter 1 watch this Look at what sin does. Look at how it affects people. Look what it does to a society. Look what it can do to a family. Watch this. When you're in Romans 1, say, I'm there. This is after the statement has been made that we'll read in point three, that people have made themselves God. Adam and Eve, the temptation was, eat the fruit and you'll be a... God knowing good and evil you'll be the shot caller that's what happens people reject God they begin the shot caller of their life and now watch you'll see society in these verses right here because they've rejected God and when they reject God they reject his wisdom and they decide what is right and what is wrong and they're, they're and it's wrong now watch verse 21 for even though they knew God they did not honor him as God or give thanks but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Wow. Professing to be wise, they became fools. You notice there's a lot of foolish thinking out there now? And they think it's so wise. And exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the image, for an image, in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. In other words, they reject God and they either worship themselves or animals. This is what gets me. It's like some Christians can't come into church and worship God, sing out loud, but I guarantee you next Sunday you're going to be worshiping some four-footed animals called rams. Any amens on that? <laughs> or Bengals. I'm not, don't, and don't go, Jim said we can't watch the Rams. No, no I'm going to watch, I'm a Rams fan. But I'm just making a comparison how we can scream and yell at the TV, Rams, go, 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 come in here like, am I right? So let's kind of think about that right there. Now, let's move on. Look, watch what happens when they reject God and now they choose to think on their own what they want. Watch verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them here it goes for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen the consequences are for this reason God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural and in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. 
We're seeing this everywhere now. It's been around for quite, it's been around since Genesis, but we're seeing a lot of it even more now. Any amens? How many of you, some of the commercials now, are you kidding me? I will not, let, I would, if I had little kids, they're not watching these commercials because they're putting forth messages in there that certain things are all right and they're not. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, so they don't acknowledge God, God gave them over. In other words, you don't want me? Go ahead, have your way. God gave them over to depraved mind. You know, depraved mind means a useless, worthless mind. To do things which are not proper. Now watch society as it progresses downward because sin is bad. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips. Any gossips in here? Of course not. You're all Christians. Slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Is that society? We all battle with that too, right? Now guys, think about that. I'll give you a quick one right here. God is lumping all sins together. We tend to make one sin, make it the big sin, and that's the big sin. And we don't look at the sin in here, we look at the sin out there, Right? Be careful with that stuff. Verse 32. Although they know the ordinance of God, they know, we'll see that in point three, that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They know this is sin being practiced. They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval. They approve to those who practice them. They say it's okay. Oh, it's okay. It's this and that. Watch out. I've heard Christians say, no, it's not wrong. Not, are you kidding me? If God says it's wrong, then it's, it's wrong. But you see the seriousness of sin? You see what it does to a society? You see what it does to a family? You see how it breaks up people's friendships and marriages? You see how people lose their identity and they think they're this versus the NEA man's? Sin is serious, guys. Now, let's put it in there. God says sin is serious. We need to take it serious. The punishment fits the crime. That's the point. Here's what you got to think about. All sin is against God, is it not? When David is confronted by Nathan in the Old Testament, David says, I've sinned against God, even though he sinned against Uriah and Bathsheba. When Joseph, Potiphar's wife, grabs him and says, sleep with me. And he says, I'm not sleeping with the boss's wife. I'm not sleeping with anybody, not my wife. He says, I cannot do this thing and sin against God. So now we find all sin is against God. But we also sin against ourselves in the sin, and we also sin against others in committing sin. Am I right? Okay, here, here's how it works now. Punishment fits a crime, length of time. When we sin against others, that person is a finite person, correct? You, some of you will get this in a second. When we sin, though, we also sin against God, correct? God is finite or infinite? Infinite. So since God is an infinite God and we sin against an infinite God, therefore the punishment against an infinite God is what? Infinity. It doesn't end. Unless we put our faith in Jesus and ask Him to forgive us, the punishment doesn't end. It's infinite. You know what's weird? Western culture people, they sit there and say, oh, I just can't believe in a God who would send people to hell, a loving God, this and that. Really? 
If you lived in a third world country where there are terrorists and dictators and they take members of your family and they force them to do this or they do and they take your sister and they do terrible things to her and this and that, are you going to believe in a God of judgment? Amen. You better believe you are. You're going to hope that those are gods are going to deal with things at the end of all things. Any amen on that one? But because we live in a Western culture, oh, you know, because, you know, we don't live in those kind of places yet. See, Jim is going to come. Oh, yeah, read Revelation. It's going to come all over the world. Now, let me move on in this thing. Let me, I got to give you a side note before I get into point three. Did you know? Did you know? When it comes to eternal infinity and beyond justice in hell, did you know that hell has different levels of punishment? Did you know that? Did you know that? Let me, let me show you something. Turn to Matthew 11. Watch this. Matthew 11. Look at Matthew 11, verse 20. I can only give you one verse on it, but I don't have time otherwise. 11:20. Now watch this. Watch what Jesus says. Levels. Verse 20, it says, Then he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. He says, I've done all these things. I've shown you him, and nobody's repenting here. Woe to you, Chorazin. I always like to say chorizo, but I don't know how to say that word. I don't know how to say that word. It's a Mexican in me coming out. And it sounds good, though, doesn't it? Some chorizo with egg and stuff like that. I don't like the potatoes so much in it. But anyway, that sounds good. Um, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Sackcloth and ashes are a sign of mourning. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. What? More tolerable in eternity and punishment? And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades, for if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have repented to, to this day. It would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you, that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Isn't that interesting? That there are levels of punishment in hell? Let me, let me put it this way. Let's call you know, I don't know, let's just call it the person there, you're a garden variety sinner. You know what that means, right? Just a common garden variety sinner. Should they get the same punishment as an Adolf Hitler? Logically, do they? No. Well, Jesus says there's levels, it's going to be more tolerable for them than for you. There's levels. It can be worse for others. And it makes perfect sense because if you flip the coin, we also find that there are greater degrees of reward for the Christians in eternity depending on how you served God on this side of the grave or not, right? right. Uh, let me just be a little selfish out loud right now. If I get to heaven and I see somebody there that never did anything in church, never helped, never did anything, never did that, and, and they get the same thing as me, we're going to have some talk, man, Jesus. <laughs> Are you kidding? I'm not trying to sound arrogant or anything like that, but man, I, I, my whole life has been for this. I expect some stuff. 
when I get there, there better be like a 67 GTO or something like that. On Streets of Gold, you'll see me burning rubber there. Okay, just so we understand ourselves clear. But it's the same thing, is it not? Levels of reward, levels of punishment. It just makes perfect sense. Now, let's go to a bigger question that may be asked you. Number three, do people who have never heard of Jesus go to hell? How many have ever had that one asked or heard that question? How many of you are breathing right now? Okay, three of you. Okay, are breathing. Okay. Now, not an easy answer. Not. And the answers we give may not satisfy people, but there are answers. So I'm going to give you two different answers, and then I'm going to tie it together. Here we go. The first answer to that is this. God will reveal himself to people who seek him. Oh, okay. You find this. All the Old Testament news, you find it everywhere. A classic story is in Acts chapter 10 and 11 where, uh, you know, Peter with the sheet coming down. Well, Cornelius uh, is seeking God. He's not a Jew. And he's seeking God. He doesn't know who Jesus is. never heard of Jesus. And he's seeking God. And God sees that he's seeking God. And he puts, gives Peter a vision uh, that these men are going to come, go with them. And he's going to go over to Cornelius' house who are all Gentiles. And that happens. And Peter goes and he preaches Jesus. And the Spirit of God falls upon them. What happened? There was a man there just seeking God. And so because he was seeking God, huh, we find that God notices that. And he made a way for somebody to go tell that people, that person about Jesus. Does that make sense? Now watch this in this context. Look at Acts chapter 17. Acts 17. <clears throat> Look at verse 26 of Acts 17. I'll read two verses, 26, 27. Watch this. It says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live. Stop right there. I like to say this every time. There are no, there are not a bunch of different races on earth, okay? There's one race, the human race, all came from Adam and Eve. Therefore, remember that if you're married, you married a relative, distant, but a relative, okay? Just so you get that. We're all one race. This whole idea that all the, you hear this talk, all that, this race, that's a lie. It's one race. We're all just different people groups. It's not my fault you're not Mexican. No, I'm just joking. That's a joke, okay? Now, let's read on. On, the, on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for Him and I'll find Him. Though He is not far. Is God far from anybody? No, not far from each one of us. So people grope, if people reach out, if they seek God, guess what they're going to do? They're going to find him. God's going to make a way. That's what he's saying. He's going to make a way. And do you know, and I told you before, that right now in the Middle East, Muslims are coming to Jesus, and many of them are coming to Jesus because Jesus is appearing to them in dreams. Is that amazing or what? Boy, I like that a lot, man. Now, that's the first thing. The second bullet point answer to it is this. Here we go. People will not be condemned for limited theology. In other words, that they didn't know enough. They will be condemned for violating the light God put in them. Let me explain it. Okay, Romans chapter 1 and uh, verse uh, 19 and 20. Watch this. 
Because that which is known about God is evident where? Where? Within them. God has placed in every human, every human, a witness that there is God. It doesn't matter if they say they're an atheist, God has placed a witness that there is God. For God made it evident to them. And it goes deeper. Paul writes again, Paul adds, for since the creation of the world, now he goes back to creation by the creator, this universe, his invisible attributes, God is invisible, correct? We know, we have seen him though because Jesus came and explained him. Jesus came, the God-man came. But God himself, he's, he's a spirit. His invisible attributes. His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. What? But he's invisible. Have been clearly seen. How? Being understood through what has been made. So that they are without excuse. Ah, okay. God exists. And he's got this universe and all of creation and people can just look at the stars and look at the sun and look at everything and you realize how in the world this had to be a creator. We've talked about fine-tuning. We've already shown that scientists have now found the universe started. There was a moment when there was nothing and then boom, it came into existence. Mankind can look up. It's natural theology. Yes, there had to be a creator. But that doesn't answer the full question yet, does it? Let's go further. Chapter 2. Look at verse 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law. Oh, whoa, whoa, Gentiles. That's everybody, not a Jew. They don't have the law. They don't know the laws of God. But they do instinctively the things of the law. But they kind of live more. They live, yeah. These not having the law are a law to themselves. Because they have this law. Now Watch. In that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, goes with chapter 20. Their what? Conscience. Bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them on the day when according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. What does all that mean? Let me give it a shot. People will not be judged for limited theology. They'll be judged for violating the light God put in them. The conscience. They've never heard of Jesus, but the conscience. God has placed a witness in every person. There's a God. God has put natural theology all around them. There's a God, but there's a conscience. Okay, let me give you this dumb story, then let me give you the story I always use. When back in the Stone Age when I was in college, my theology professor, he said, your conscience, we know New Testament-wise, can be seared. He said, your conscience, and I'll speak to men. You know, men, some of you have that underwear you need to get rid of because it's so, the elastic's gone. <laughs> Ladies, I give you permission, go throw it away. Okay. <laughs> but the elastic can get so stretched out, it's, it's, it's gone. He said, that's like your conscience. You can commit sin, commit sin, commit sin, commit sin. So there's no more elasticity left in that thing. But he said, unlike your underwear, if you start to obey your con... <laughs> Praise the Lord, huh? <laughs> Praise the Lord. But you're un unlike your underwear, your conscience, if you start doing right things, 
it can get elasticity back. Does that make sense? Okay. But how does that work? How does it work with all this? Limited theology, um, but obeying or violating the light in them. Here's the story I always use. Let's imagine all of us in this room. We all live in the Amazon jungle. We're a tribe. We have really no contact with the outside world. But we are a tribe of headhunters. One day, all of us guys, headhunters, who have been taught by our fathers, by our grandfather, maybe by our great-grandfather, headhunting is right. It's a good thing. So we leave. For seven days, we're out on a headhunting expedition. And we find a village. And we raid that village. We kill everybody. We take the heads. Ah, we got what we wanted. We come back to our village. We've been gone a week. We get to our village. We see smoke in the distance. We get there. And there's been a slaughter. Because our wives and our children were there. But they've been killed. Their heads have been taken. And we're sad. And we're shattered. That night, when we lay down in our hut by ourselves, just in such inner turmoil, and thoughts start to race through our mind, and maybe the thought comes into our mind that Headhunting can't be right. They took my wife and my kids, and I know they've, I should say they chopped their heads off. Headhunting is not right. It's wrong. And for the first time in our life, we know it's wrong. The question now in that moment is, what am I going to do with that new information? Because now my conscience has an ability to get elasticity back. See, the person who's never heard, Jesus will judge the thoughts of people's hearts, the conscience, alternately accusing or defending them. And only Jesus can make that judgment. I can't, I'm a human. And so the person who's never heard will be judged, according to this, the way I, I see it, by their conscience. Does that make sense? Does it make sense? Okay. I'm going to give you one last thought, then I'll let let you go, because you look hungry. And I feel hungry. I want you to think about hell. You know, we get the images in Scripture, it's fire and darkness and wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's It's imagery of how bad it is there. But have you ever thought of hell like this? It's a quarantine of evil. But in that place, even though they can never get out, in that place, there's complete autonomy away from God. They can do whatever they want. And it's just a bunch of evil where there's no love, there's no morality, there's nothing like that. It's everybody going after everybody else through infinity and beyond. Can you imagine a place like that? It's just nothing but crime and violence and pain that people are doing to each other. No morals, no love. 
because they're going to do what they want to do. Guys, we're just seeing tastes of it in our America right now in certain places, are we not? They've pulled away funds from police departments, which you've heard me say before. If they ever pulled funds from, I live in Corona, I would move to a city close by that's not going to defund the police. There's just no way. But we're seeing that. We're seeing district attorneys now that are not prosecuting. In fact, there's no bail. They, people get arrested, they go out and they commit a crime again. So we're watching this happen where they're not, there's no more restraints anymore. This is not in your notes, but I'm going to give you the verse just so you can use it to speak to somebody who needs to see it. This is truth. This is in God's word. The writer Solomon, the preacher, says this in Ecclesiastes 8.11, he says, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed, how? Quickly. Therefore, the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. Are we seeing that right now? You better believe it. This is the truth of God's word. It's not Jim making this stuff up right there. But can you imagine this being in a quarantine called hell through infinity? Can you imagine a place like that? There's no restraint. There's no arrests. People are just going to keep doing what they want. They're going to keep hurting people and hurting people and hurting people. That's what hell, that's a part of hell, right there. The good news is, here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus, the God-man. And he says, you don't have to go there. In fact, I created it for the devil and his angels. You don't have to go there. But if you want to go there, okay. But I didn't create you to go there. I didn't create it for, for you to go there. And Jesus goes to this cross, and he carries our sins. Why would he bother doing that for me or you? Because he loves us. We're his creation. I can't imagine the pain that he went through beginning from the moment they started to torture him all the way through the cross. And all the blood pouring from his body to forgive us our sins. And all of this is so he can approach you and come into relationship with you and me and forgive us of our sins. For me, no matter what I, when I go through bad times, hard times, this time, I always have to go back to the cross. God, no, even though it feels like you don't love me or you don't care, no, the cross proves you love me and you care for me. I settled it. I settled it. And some of you need to now settle it. You're fighting a God who just loves you and wants the best for you. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, well, hopefully today you do. I mean, become a follower of Christ. Settle it. Here or at home. Or you backslid. You just, you know, you walked away. It's in and out and in. Come on, man. Settle it. I'm going to give you an opportunity to fix that. Get it right. So I want you to close your eyes, everybody, right now. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ... And I mean this, not, oh yeah, I believe in there's a God or a God. No, 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 I'm sorry. That's not what it means. The word believe in the New Testament means trust. You're entrusting him with your entire life. You're jumping in. You're not putting one foot in the shallow end saying, well, I believe in God. No, you jump in the deep end and it's like 100 feet deep and you're going all the way with him. Complete surrender. That's what salvation is. That's what belief is. 
But if you want to place your faith, your belief, your trust in Jesus, today's the day. Or you backslid, and it's time to come back to Christ. I want you to do this. If that's either one of your positions, or if you're in one of those positions, I want you to open up your eyes and look up at me right now. I'm going to look back, and when our eyes meet, you can close them. Do that right now as I look around the room. Do it now. God bless you. 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 Uh huh. God bless you. 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 Now I'm going to say this prayer. And at home, if you place your faith in Jesus, you repeat this with us. But everybody in this room, you're going to repeat this prayer out loud with me. And those of who looked up at me, you say it with us. As you're saying it, commit your life to Christ. You're believing in Him. You're surrendering your life to Him. Here we go. Repeat after me. Jesus, thank you for loving me and dying in my place. Taking the torment for my sins. Shedding your blood to forgive my sins. Forgive me of my sins. I know I'm forgiven. Today I choose to follow you with my whole life. Every part of me. Everything that I am. Take me. Thank you for saving me. Now allow me to pray for you all. I just pray for everyone who said that prayer for the first time or in rededication. I just pray that you follow Christ now. If you don't have a Bible, go into the Welcome Center in the lobby. They'll give you a free Bible. For that matter, if any of you don't have a Bible, go there and get a Bible. Read in the New Testament. Stay especially in the Gospels for the first couple years and find out about the one who died for you, Jesus Christ. Learn about him. Then after that time, you can start expanding more outward. Get into church. Don't let anyone or anything talk you out of that. Get around Christians in fellowship. Come to Bible study. Learn, grow. Start to serve. Let the light of Jesus Christ so shine in you that people see the, the good works of God in you. Jesus, we thank you for this day. We know that all of heaven rejoices over one sinner, anyone who repents and comes to you. What a great thing. Heaven is rejoicing. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all said, amen, amen and amen. Stand there with me, everybody. 
you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.